Uh, I regularly will try to keep myself out of teachings. I just want to study the scripture. I want to look at Jesus. I don't want to ever use this for a therapy desk. And so some of you have commented like, you know, you, you don't give us much of who you are. It's intentional. I really want to focus on him. But I really feel like the Lord challenged me to share some stuff out of my own journey with him recently. There's a passage that says they overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of their even not loving their lives to death. Testimony isn't just standing up and saying, here's what God's walking me through. It's also having the vulnerability to say, I know you might think something different of me after you hear this, but I don't love my life enough to not be faithful to what the Lord's doing in it. Think that one through for a second. I'm willing to be exposed. I'm willing to be vulnerable. As a per- this, is our, this is not my statement. This is our statement, what it should be. I'm willing to be spiritually vulnerable and open because I understand that that is the way the Lord softens my pride and glorifies himself. And so I wanna take a few minutes and share some thoughts about some things the Lord's been teaching me in my own life. I say teaching and I would maybe, better word would be challenging me on some things. To consider the attack of the enemy in our lives. Now I grew up in a, very Pentecostal, charismatic environment. How many have ever heard this phrase, the devil made me? Right, it's a lie. He actually doesn't have that much authority over you. The real truth is you did it, not him. But I grew up in a culture where everything was blamed on him. Everything that was negative was always impugned against him. And so what it caused in me was this, re, this almost shift, like a, a pendulum movement. I don't like celebrating what the enemy does. I don't like giving him glory. I think if we look at the root story in scripture, what he was after originally was glory. I will be like the most high. I want to be worshiped. I want attention and focus to be given to me. So I don't like doing that. I don't even like naming spirits. Hey, there's a spirit of such. I'm like, I don't even want to give it credit. We know it's something demonic. We're just going to say no in the name of Jesus. Be done. So what that's caused in me is almost a weak position of never really paying attention to when it is the enemy. You know what I'm saying? I tend to be late to the party and noticing what's going on in my personal life might be demonically influenced. So recently, I would say uh, in our home, we've been in a season of probably three to six months of pretty significant difficulty. We're like, it's just not working very well. Anybody ever had seasons like that in your home? rest of you are liars. <laughs> Where it's just like, it is something's going on, it's not working, it's just turmoil, it's difficulty. I don't know about you, but for me, there are times when these kinds of seasons cause me to actually doubt that this faith stuff actually works. Anybody else with me in that? You wrestle with that? You're like, can a pastor say that? I don't know, I just did. And there are times when discouragement will press in so strong in these seasons where for me, the the pervasive thought is, I just want to get in my car and drive as far away as I can. I want to get away from everything. So at 32 years of age, I was at a, because I'd grown up Pentecostal, charismatic, and all this, you know, voice of the Lord, feeling God stuff, I had done my best to try to interpret senses and feels. I was a worship leader. It was real intuitive. 
And I, I came to a, a kind of a break point in my life where I'm like, I have to, either God talks or he doesn't, either I can hear him or I can't, it's that simple. If you can't speak, I'm out, because I can't do this by braille spirituality. That was where I was at at 32. I had my boss at the time challenged me, he said, look, I don't even want you to show up to work until you've heard the voice of God. If you don't show up, I'll just know you're not hearing God. Like, that's a trap, I think. It was actually one of the most loving things anyone had ever done with me. I said, I don't know how to hear God. He's like, I just want you to find a place to sit and just say, Lord, until I hear your voice, I'm not moving. And then stop talking. So I started doing that journey and it developed into a, a, what I would call my method, which I share all the time because the Lord's told me very clearly, I want you to share it with people. And that is that I, I have a laptop and I have an open Word document, and it's just a running conversation where it's my initial, I write what, what's on my heart, and then I write what the Lord gives me back. And it's just this running dialogue. It goes back till 32. You might think it's crazy, but everything that God's ever done in my life that has, has had any value since that time has been vetted through that place. Everything about vintage has been because the Lord spoke into it in that place. Everything in my personal life, business life, all of it. So my grid is that I don't do anything in life without sitting with the Lord face to face. No decisions are made without his. I don't buy cars without asking him. That seems weird. Great, don't do it. It's my, it's, I just decided that I fully, in my first 32 years, figured out I knew how to screw up my life. I was going to let the Lord lead the rest of it. And so I sat with the Lord in this season of difficulty and just went to him and just said, Lord, I need you to search my heart. My assumption most times is the guy in the mirror is the problem. Anybody else with me in that one? Not about my mirror, about your own mirror. <laughs> and the Lord spoke something to me that began a journey. And he said, you need to understand the difference between an attack from the enemy and an agenda of the enemy. You need to understand the difference between an attack from the enemy and an agenda of the enemy. How many Star Wars fans are in this room? Remember Return of the Jedi, Luke's in Dagobah, and he's learning from Yoda about the Force, and Yoda, Luke will ask several direct questions, and Yoda will always respond with another question. I sometimes feel like that's God. Like you want an answer, and his, and his statement back into your life is like, Seriously? I needed an answer, not another invitation to study. But the Lord's statement of you need to understand the difference between an attack of the enemy and an agenda of the enemy caused me to realize that the Lord was whispering it for a reason. I didn't understand the difference. I just categorized, categorized them all the same. So I began to study. And I want to take us through my study process in this. That the first thing I had to come to grips with is there is a reality of our enemy. So I want to read three verses for it, because some of us, I think, believe that he's not really real. Okay, so listen to this. John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to only to steal, kill, destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Ephesians 6.12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. If we consider what those verses say about us as the children of God, they very clearly communicate we have an enemy, we're the targets of that enemy, 
He's real and his forces are real. So for me, the question is always, if I'm a follower of Christ, I wanna learn from Jesus. So is there a place in scripture where Jesus confronts this enemy head on? To look at that, we have to look at Luke 4, verses one through 13. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness where the devil tempted him for 40 days. He ate nothing all that time and was very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, change this stone into a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people need more than bread for their life. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil told him, I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God, serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he orders his angels to protect and guard you. They will hold you with their hands and keep you from striking your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting him, he left him until the next opportunity came. I want us to consider how Jesus handled this situation. Every temptation of the enemy, if you look at them, was an effort to escape the moment. It was the easy way out of every situation. He's hungry, use your power, make bread. You don't want to go through the cross. You don't have to go through the cross. Just bow to me and I'll give you everything. I'll just make it quick. I won't, I won't be like your father. I won't require you to go through difficulty. I can just give it and turn it. All you have to do is follow me. Are you sure? Are you sure he's really your dad? Are you sure you're not crazy? Well, you need to prove that you're not crazy. If you're really the son of God, you need to do this. Every single one of those was an effort to escape the difficulty of the moment and take the easy way out. Have you ever noticed that the enemy always offers the easy way out of a situation? What we see Jesus do in this is use his personal commitment to live aligned with the scriptures to combat that desire to escape the situation he was in. In other words, he wanted to live aligned to the scriptures more than he wanted out of his situation. The Hebrew word here for desert or wilderness, which is the place that the Holy Spirit takes him into, is the word midbar, which is the root of that word is the word debar, which means word. Midbar is properly defined as the place of the word. Place of the word is a reference to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter eight. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy eight there where man doesn't live by bread alone which makes sense why he's using that passage. What it is clear to me is that Jesus had allowed the scriptures to teach him about the character and principles of heaven, how God deals with his children. So for us, the wilderness is where we are pressed or challenged to rely on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God rather than our own strength, our own resources, and our own wisdom. 
In John 14, 30, Jesus will give his own commentary about his encounter with the enemy. I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me. The word phrase, has nothing in me, is absolutely vital for us to consider. The word phrase means to grip, to hold, to grab onto. It is a place where one establishes a position of strength. How many climbers in the room? A handhold does what? Gives you a place to grab onto that's a position of strength. What Jesus says here is profound. He says, the enemy has searched me and found nothing in me to work with. Why? Here's what I would submit. Jesus had not allowed any alignments in him to develop that were unbiblical. And so the enemy's attack on Jesus had not resulted in a place to exploit and turn into an agenda. There's another place where we see the enemy's attack and how he works, and it's in Luke 22. Jesus will say to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Satan asked permission to sift Peter like wheat. Why? I'll tell you why I think. There's no way for us to say definitively this is why. We don't know that. I'll tell you why I think. He saw something in Peter that granted him access. He saw an alignment in Peter that gave him permission. I want you to notice Jesus' response to Peter in verse 32. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. What Jesus essentially says to Peter is, Satan has asked, I'm actually not going to deny him but I will pray for you while it happens. So if we go back to this phrase the Lord spoke to me, you need to understand the difference between an attack from the enemy and an agenda of the enemy. The attack of the enemy is an effort to lead us into a choice of behavior or attitude that doesn't line up with the word of God. The attack of the enemy is an effort to lead us into a choice of behavior or attitude that does not line up with the word of God. And what Jesus used was the truth of scriptures to withstand attack. How come? Something we lose sight of. The scriptures have supernatural authority. They have power when they're given the ability to govern when we give them the authority to govern our lives, which means I'm going to allow my life to conform to the scriptures. When I do that, the scriptures have supernatural authority because I step into a place of being covered by the Lord. I wanna highlight something. Jesus emptied himself of godliness. We see that in Philippians comes to the earth, takes the form of humanity. Jesus on the earth had to use the scriptures to defend himself against the enemy. If he had to, where do we line up? Who are we to believe we could fight in this earth, in this day, in this time, without the scriptures, if Jesus needed them? 
And based on what we see in Peter's encounter, an agenda of the enemy is a plan to take us out by utilizing the places that we have allowed life patterns that do not align with the scriptures. Let me say that again. An agenda of the enemy is a plan to take us out by utilizing the places that we've allowed life patterns that do not align with the scriptures. And that choice gives him authority. It gives the enemy a handhold, a place to grab onto. What's the answer? Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, it's David speaking. He says, search me, God, know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. So David's heart to be right before God becomes a tutorial for us on how to live open and vulnerable to the Holy Spirit. I want us to understand this. David initiated the investigation of God on his own life. He wasn't waiting for God to bring conviction. David was taking his heart before God saying, I'm asking you to search me, I'm asking you to expose, I'm asking you to find anything in me. And then he, we move into the right response. James 4, 7 says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. All too often I think we would want to declare this verse without ever having done the work to ask the question, am I actually submitted to God? Because the word submit here means to arrange under order unto obedience. Church, we submit to God by arranging our lives to align with the scriptures. You say, what do you mean arrange my life? I mean how we live, my attitudes, my thoughts, my behavior. And we use the truth in the scriptures to resist the enemy's leading. And there's a promise on this, that when we do that, the Lord stands before us and causes the enemy to flee. So submission to God, therefore, must truly mean that I look at my life in totality and I ask this question of the Holy Spirit. Is everything surrendered and obedient to Jesus? Is there any area, God, that you need to highlight? Am I living in alignment with the scriptures? And we have to be willing as a people to inspect our behaviors, our attitudes, our interactions, our pursuits. The dangerous truth is if you and I are not standing with the scriptures, we are actually opening the door for an agenda of the enemy to be established. When we're not submitted to God by not living in alignment with the scriptures, this is what scares me the most. The Lord honors that free will choice. You have a free will. The Lord will not violate it. Love doesn't exist without freedom of choice. And so when you and I make the choice to willfully, willingly, improperly align, choose a pattern of behavior and attitude that doesn't line up with the scriptures, the Lord honors that choice. He honors our choice to disobey, even though it brings a consequence to our life. Francis Frangipan and we'll write in three battlegrounds that when God banished the enemy to outer darkness in the Genesis account, the word here means lightless regions. Therefore, what that teaches us is the enemy has access to every area in my life 
that is not fully surrendered to the Lord. Church, my heart is that we have to deal with every one of these areas. We've gotta become judicious at really laying ourselves open before the Lord and saying, search me and know me. When we find those areas, we repent and we move back into the obedience to scripture. The move of God, the dream of God, the purpose of God for us in our day has to begin with an absolute commitment to live in the revealed will of God in scripture. It shouldn't be on a leadership team. It shouldn't be on a coach. It shouldn't be on my small group leader to figure it out. It should be on me personally to grab onto my responsibility, open the scriptures and ask the Lord, search me and know me. Because so many of us are walking into bad patterns of behavior, giving the enemy a place to grab onto because we're just not submitting to what the scriptures say. I know what it is like in our day and in our time to say I'm governed by the scriptures. I am not my own, I was bought with a price. I've made a choice to glorify God with my life by living what the word says. We are so countercultural in that regard, but I wanna encourage us and call us Let go of your opinions, let go of your attitudes, and come back to the scriptures. That came off heavier than I thought it was going to. You see, when the Lord whispers, you need to understand the difference between an attack and an agenda. He does it out of his goodness and his kindness, because what he understands is you're setting yourself up for an agenda of the enemy because you don't know how to stand in the scriptures, son. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so incredibly grateful for the love of a father that would say, you're screwing up, stop. I want us to finish with bread and cup today. I really think it's right to take bread and cup alone in this moment. The beginning of bread and cup in Paul's teaching in Corinthians says, let a man examine himself. Can we take a few moments as a family and examine ourselves individually? And ask this question, if you have the courage, pray that Davidic prayer. God, will you search me? I'd open your notes on your phone or get a piece of paper and if the Lord calls stuff out, write it down. Because you're not gonna be able to successfully deal with it in this moment. It's going to take some time with the Lord to build a plan and move back into healthy patterns. Let's stand.